What's up, y'all? It's Friday. I hope that you all's day went very well and you all's weekend is going to be very fun. My Friday was very, very interesting. So let me tell y'all how, okay? Let, let me go ahead and get into it. So recently, I've been having a lot of doctor's offices get in touch with me because, you know, when you have your resume posted somewhere, anyone can get in touch with you. So there was one doctor that decided to get in touch with me named Dr. Sherry Bisbee in regards to a position at a neurology institute. She's a neurologist. Now, here's the thing. I'm like, okay, well, let me just look into it or whatever, you know, just to see what it is. I might leave my current job because currently I drive a lot of places and my job is like an hour from my home. So I'm looking for somewhere closer. So I'm like, okay, well, let me look into it. So she decides to send me a message about an interview. And then she turns around and sends me another message stating that there has been a small group of people who has decided to get together and discredit her. And for me not to be discouraged about coming in still. Okay. So for you to message me something like this, of course, I'm going to go and do some research. So, y'all, let me get on into the tea. Here's the tea, okay? So, I start researching. I'm like, okay, Dr. Sherry Bisbee. And the first thing that comes up is all these bad reviews. So, I'm thinking, okay, this must be the little small group that she was stating, you know, has teamed together to discredit her in her practice. But here's the thing. Something clicked in my mind and said, Brie... Look at the dates of these reviews. And y'all, these dates were going all the way back to like 2015, 2016. People are saying how she's very unprofessional, how she comes into work and she will accuse you of stealing things, how she comes in and will go to sleep in the treatment rooms. She's getting injections done by her assistant. She even has front desk doing her injections sometimes. And front desk doesn't, you know, have a license to be giving any type of injections. So, y'all, I'm steady reading through the reviews and I come across one review that says, if I was you all, I would look into her previous name, which was Dr. Sherry Hawkins. Oh, y'all done messed up saying that. So, me being me, the detective, I start searching Dr. Sherry Hawkins. And y'all, ooh, the first thing that pops up for Dr. Sherry Hawkins is that she was arrested on a DUI charge back in 2012. Her alcohol level was 0 0.087, which of course we know that is way over the, you know, legal limit. Not only that, they found 251 pills on her and she claimed that these pills came from her having cancer, anxiety, she had hydrocodone pills, oxycodone pills. So they ended up charging her with a DUI charge, a controlled substance 2 charge, and a controlled substance 5 charge, y'all. This lady is a freaking drunk and loves to pop pills. Like, how does she even still have her license? And the first thing that clicked in my head is, well, she still got her license because she changed her last 
name. She was a doctor in the state of Virginia and she lost her license. Like dead serious, dead serious. And she's still practicing to this day. And we all know that neurology is dealing with, you know, the brain, you know, such as traumatic brain injury, Parkinson's degree, uh, disease, things like that you're dealing with. And then another kicker is I came across another article, y'all, about Dr. Bisbee or Dr. Hawkins, whatever you want to call her. I come across another article where she reported to the police that her cell phone went missing in the practice and that someone stole it. Y'all, if this lady think that I'm finna come now, she out her damn head. See, you have to be careful what you say to people that you may want to come and work for you because somebody like me, I'm nosy and I'll go to researching for you to come out and let me know. Oh, please don't be discouraged. There's a small group that came together to discredit me. It's a reason why they did it, baby. And me, I'm going to find out. So my Friday was very interesting. I had to give y'all this tea or whatever, but <laughs> Of course, it is True Crime Friday, and we're going to get into our story. This story is about the tragic murder of a girl named Angela Rabati. So, you know, let's go on and get into this. All right. Welcome back to Every Little Things Podcast. If you are new to my channel, welcome. Make sure you hit that follow button and share with all of your friends and family. I am happy to have you. And of course, I am happy to have my followers who have been with me since I started this podcast. You all have kept me motivated and I thank you all so much for the support. I really do. It's your girl, Bree. And of course, once again, today is True Crime Friday. Now, as we know, the clubbing scenes in Atlanta is a very dangerous circle to be a part of for young girls, um, you know, that's virtually risking their lives. And in Atlanta, of course, they have a client base that is mainly criminals and gangsters. And one day in 2014, Angela Rabati would come into contact with the with like her most terrifying client yet so today's episode is going to be another soft true crime and we're going to go ahead and get into her story so let's get started now 
before we actually get started, I just want to give my usual disclaimer that I mean absolutely no disrespect to anyone that I talk about in this case. This episode is for educational purposes and everything that I'm about to say is just information that I found on the internet and I'm compiling into one episode. Angela Robotti was a 26-year-old woman born in 1988 in Atlanta, Georgia. She was a single mother to a three-year-old daughter named Cher, who was her absolute world, like her best friend, you know. Angela was described as being such a devoted mother. She was an incredible mother to Cher. She was nurturing, she was hardworking, and everything Angela did, she did it for sure, for Cher, her daughter. She was her whole entire world. Angela was also a very great friend from what I could tell in my research. Everyone just had absolutely amazing things to say about this woman. She was happy, she was positive, she could make anyone smile. In fact, I have a quote from her mother who said, Angie could always make you smile no matter what Angela was, a go-getter. She was a very driven woman and she had big dreams of becoming a model. And she was working on it a little bit. I mean, she just had her daughter three years ago. And when you have a baby, it kind of changed your whole life, obviously. So the dream of becoming a model had become a little bit more distant than it once had been. She was doing a few modeling jobs here and there, but it really wasn't her full focus right now. Her full focus was her daughter and providing to her daughter. So the modeling jobs weren't bringing in enough money for it to even be a part-time job. And Angela needed a job, so she went and got a job as an exotic dancer in one of the clubs downtown and she went by the name Climax, which Climax, AKA Angela Robotti, had quite a solid reputation in the circles. She was good at what she did and everyone knew it. She was very popular. Angela was like one of the best, you know, men always demanded her. Like when they came in the club, they're like, okay, where's Angie, where's Climax? They always wanted her and sometimes This was a little bit intimidating because of the kind of men that would come into Angela's club where she worked. Like, they were scary individuals, criminals, gangsters, drug dealers, people that own a lot of guns. You know, there were some very unsavory characters that went in that particular club. And while Angela never expected any of her clients to, like, hurt her in any way, she couldn't be too sure And she wanted to make sure that she would be able to protect herself if anything like that ever happened. So Angela went out and bought herself a handgun. And on March 8, 2014, it was just another day for Angie. She was 26 years old at this point. She'd been dancing for a while. And that night, she was booked to dance at a private party, I think. It was like a bachelor party in an upscale hotel in Midtown, Atlanta. Now, before she went off to work that day, 
Angela dropped her daughter off at her friend's house because her friend had agreed to look after Shay while Angela was at this party. However, when the next morning rolled around, Angela didn't get in contact with this friend about picking up Cher, and the friends did think this was weird. Because like I said, Angela was such a devoted mother, her whole world revolved around Cher. So it was unlikely that she just like forgotten about her daughter or something, you know. But the friend didn't think too much of it in a way of like, well, Angela works at night, you know, so she has like a night job. So maybe she was just tired. Maybe she slept in that morning and just hadn't texted about Sherry yet. So the friend waited, waited around for Angie a little longer. And then she tried to get in contact with Angie again. But Angie didn't pick up her phone. It, this time it went straight to voicemail. She waited around a little while longer again until the concern was just eating her alive about Angie because this was just out of the ordinary. So she got in contact with Angela's family and they decided to report her missing. So before she'd even been missing for 24 hours at this point, Angie's family had already filed a missing persons report and the police were getting on it and they were organizing their own search party with the help of social media. All of her family and friends were posting missing person photos and meetups for different searches and there was such a huge turnout for Angela's search. It was clear that she was, you know, a very popular lady in this area and a lot of people wanted to find her and bring her back home. Hundreds of people had turned up in such a short notice to try to help find this woman, but there was one person that was nowhere to be found, and that was Angela's own baby daddy. Angela's ex-boyfriend and the father of her child was called Daryl, and she'd been in an off again and on again relationship with him for years I think since like their early 20s and they were not right for each other everyone said it you know both of them said all of all of their family said it they both just was very stubborn people that clashed a lot and they argued about pretty much everything and so for that reason they were always just splitting up, getting back together, and they knew they liked each other, but they knew they couldn't make it work long term. But they kind of just, you know, tried. And that's exactly why everyone was so confused when Daryl didn't even show up to help look for Angela. Because, you know, well, I don't know if you're close enough to her that you've been on that off again on again with her for like 60 years then why don't you want to help like why don't you want to help find her you know so Angela's family and the police just found it quite interesting that this man shares a child with this woman and this is the mother of his daughter even if he didn't want anything to do with her himself why would he not want to find Angela you know 
So police hope that they will be able to locate him and question him at some point, you know, during the case. Right now, they was just focusing on the search. But they had a feeling that Daryl could be quite useful to the investigation. But like I said, for now, they needed to get on with the search. But in fact, they were actually, there were actually a lot of people there that turned up to help with the search. So the police were interested in questioning a lot of Angela's co-workers, like other dancers or men that went in the club that actually came to look for her every time they would come. So police were really interested in talking to them. Um because they wanted to get both perspectives of Angela's job, Angela's line of work, and all of the girls were very open with police about just how dangerous their jobs are. They were telling them all about the people that are in there regularly and that they have regular contact with, and they were worried about Angela. They were really worried, actually, and I think that says a lot that the girls that she worked with were this worried because they knew the kind of people that she'd been around the night before and the girls like angie all of these dancers were pretty much forced to work with dangerous clients you know all these drug dealers criminals gangsters because well just for the money obviously a lot of them are desperate for the money but not even a money thing they're forced to more they're forced more out of fear. They don't want to piss off these scary individuals. So police were immediately worried that something might have happened to Angela Rabati, either at that party or on her way home. Maybe someone that was there that night had something to do with this. So they spoke with a few more of her co-workers who said that Angela just seemed like normal that night. To be fair, she was working the same as always. She was smiling, being fun. She was happy, bubbly, like nothing seemed off. So she completed her whole night shift and she left that evening in good spirits. So her friends just assumed that something must have happened to her on the way home. One of the dancers actually told the police that she'd seen Angela outside the party that night at about 5 a.m. So that party had, once that party finished, all the girls were like finding their way home. And apparently it was like five in the morning and Angela is on the phone in this parked car screaming on the phone to someone like, you know, just having an argument on the phone. And then she starts asking this person if they can give her a lift, if they can come pick her up, you know, and take her home. And this woman that saw all of this going on with Angie on the phone, she actually left at this point. So she never saw how Angie completed the phone call or if she ever got that lift home. So this was very concerning. That was the last known sighting of, of Angela Robotti. And from that point, they had no idea what happened to her. They have no idea who she was trying to meet with that night, who she was trying to get her get to pick her up. And that was something that they were going to have to investigate over the next few days. So by that evening of the next day, um, 
The police had actually managed to contact Daryl's, which is Angela's ex-boyfriend, and he told him that he actually only just found out that Angela was missing like 10 minutes before that phone call. He said that he found out through social media actually because all of the shared posts about this and the search parties and stuff like that. He said that no one had called him to let him know that the murder mother of his child was missing and he had to find out through these social media posts and that's why he wasn't at the search because he had no idea. So it wasn't as suspicious as it was when it first started. And actually, as police got to talking to Daryl, they realized that he actually was a really good guy, you know, a really good father to, to share. And he seemed genuinely really concerned about Angie. He really wanted to find her. He really wanted to make sure that she was okay. Daryl said that he couldn't eat or sleep. He felt sick ever since he found out that Angela was missing. And every day of this investigation, he felt sick trying to find her. So Daryl was, of course, questioned by the police, but he was very quickly ruled out as a suspect. It seemed that his lack of involvement in the case was up until this point. He had just been, it had all just been a misunderstanding. And now that he knew that Angela was missing, he was very much involved. He was very much showing his support. So police believed him and they felt like he wasn't suspicious as the first day of the investigation. You know, so they just ruled him out. So the police managed to question one last man and this man claimed to be the man that Angela was shouting down the phone to in the car parking lot after the party his name was charles outlaw jr and he told the police that he and angie had been friends for years and years and years nearly a decade they originally made friends when they were teenager and then in their 20s they kind of lost touch a little bit but then literally just before angela's disappearance i think about a month before she went missing Charles came back into her life and they kind of rekindled this friendship and a lot of people actually thought the two of them were romantically involved or at least they wanted to be but the two of them denied it. Angela denied it, Charles denied it and he said that he had a girlfriend but like I don't know you know some people say that and some of them do really have girlfriends still be involved with others. And then he probably just said that so that the police could get off his back, you know. But the police did not say that Charles seemed very distressed about Angela's disappearance. He really wanted to help find her, in fact. He was like one of the first people at the search party on day one. Angela's friends spoke uh, spoke with the police and they shared a couple of concerns that they had about Charles Outlaw. Um, nothing too serious, but like a couple of little, mm, I don't know, you know, what to think about this guy, like kind of things. Like, I think he's creepy, you know. He was always very interested in Angela's finances. 
her friend said he would always ask her questions about money and stuff like that and again like I said it's nothing too weird but like he was also very interested in becoming her manager he would like talk to her about it a lot and ask her about it a lot and she just kind of was like I don't want a manager right now but yeah He seemed very interested in Angela's money and her career and being involved in that money and career, you know. But yeah, like I said, Charles Outlaw was the guy that Angela was shouting down to on the phone to come and pick her up after that party. And he did. And he said he did. And he went and got in his car and went and picked Angela up at like 5 a.m., and it was all the way on the other side of the city. So Charles wasn't happy about having to go and pick her up, but he did it anyway. Now, when he got there and when Angela got in the car, he said that he started shouting at her because he wasn't happy that he had to come out at 5 a.m. to come and pick her up from the other side of town. And supposedly, Angela snapped back at him. And he said that she didn't need him and that they were there were plenty of other guys in the area that would be happy to drive her around or pick her up after a party you know at this point so charles was getting pissed off and he didn't really want to be in the car with angela anymore but he knew that he had promised to take her home so what he did was He pulled over into this parking lot and he told Angela that he would be back in a minute. And he just got out the car and walked away. Coincidentally, this car parked right near his girlfriend's house. Like, come on. And so he got out of the car, walked to his girlfriend's house. He was there for about 15 minutes and then he decided to walk back to the car and then drive Angela home. Now, He felt since they had some time apart from each other, when he arrived back to the car, Angela Robotti and all of her belongings were gone. Charles just thought she, you know, found another way home. Maybe she just gotten someone someone else to pick her up. And, you know, he just didn't think nothing of it because she had been texting loads of guys, you know, the whole time on the drive. So he just assumed that this was this is what happened. Either way, he wasn't really concerned. So he just went back to his girlfriend's house and slept over for the night. And then the next morning, well, let's say later on that morning, because it was already 5 a.m., he woke up and saw that she was missing and joined the search party immediately. So the police were suspicious of Charles Outlaw. I mean, of course. He was the last person to see Angela alive, and now she's nowhere to be found. Oh yeah, and they had an argument before she went missing. I mean, it's all adding up a little bit, you know. So police decided to get some intel on this man, like they wanted to find out some dirt about him, and they actually found out, word on the street, was that Charles Outlaw was a drug dealer, and like, he wasn't no small drug dealer. He was one of the big drug dealers. But as soon as police heard this, they actually saw a golden opportunity they could use 
So they could use this to their advantage right now. And the police believe that Charles Outlaw knew a lot more about Angela's whereabouts than he was letting on. And they knew that they were going to struggle to get that information out of him unless they could arrest him. But obviously they couldn't arrest him because they actually didn't have any evidence to get him against him at this point in time. So unless the police arrest him for a completely separate charge, you know, like a drug charge because he's a drug dealer. And then that way they can take him down to the police station, you know, and have him in police custody question. And with them being able to do that, they can question him as much as they want. And they don't have to find any evidence against him in Angela's robotics case just yet. So the next morning, day two of the investigation, the search parties all come and meet up again. And Charles Outlaw is there. So the police pulled him to the side and asked if they could search him. And on on him, they found drugs and they were able to arrest him for possession not only that but he was also arrested for violating the terms of his probation because he had drug charges and that was against the terms so that's double punishment for him so they took him back to the police station and they were trying to get information out of him out of him but this wasn't charles outlaw's first time in police custody Oh, no, it was not at all. And of course, we know this because he was on probation, you know. So he knew how to stay quiet in these situations. He was not saying a word without a lawyer, of course, by his side. So police couldn't really get much out of him for the time being. They were going to have to try and find some more physical evidence by April 2nd. So... By April 2nd, 2014, at this point, it had almost been a week since Angela Robotti went missing. And on this particular day, police received a phone call. A couple of surveyors had been out in the woodland in Littleburn, Atlanta, when they come across what seemed to be like a mannequin laying under a pile of straw. But as they got closer, they realized that it wasn't a mannequin at all. It was a dead body. And it was a body of 26-year-old Angela Robotti. She had blood all in her hair. And when her body was transported for an autopsy, it was found that she'd been killed with one singular gunshot wound to the back of the head. She was shot execution style at and incredibly close range genuinely the gun was pretty much touching the back of her head so that was the cause of her death this one singular gunshot wound and surprisingly enough she didn't seem to have like any other injuries on her whole body it seemed that angela had been killed very quickly she possibly didn't even know that it was about to happen since she was shot in the back of the head she had absolutely no chance to be able to fight for her life and you know she had no self-defense wounds police theorized that whoever had killed angela robotti 
had done so elsewhere you know like shot her somewhere else and then carried her body into the woods it also looked like the killer had intentionally tried to cover up angela's body with that straw but obviously it hadn't worked and her body was still found angela's family were informed of her passing within a few hours of her body being found and now they were left to come to terms with such a huge loss and three-year-old Cher was now going to grow up without her mother, without her best friend. And y'all, that is so sad. The police knew that they had to solve this case fast, not only for Angela and her grieving family, but for Cher. So police got back to work on this investigation and they were going like full force. They did full searches of the crime scene. They did full autopsies of Angela's body, looking for any clues. But frustratingly, there were absolutely nothing that they could get from the woods. Obviously, because they believed the killer shot her elsewhere and then put her there. There wasn't going to be much evidence in these woods, but police did still have their eyes firmly on Charles Outlaw Jr. In fact, where Angela's body was found in the wooded area, that was only about five miles away from the car park where Charles said that he parked and left Angela and, you know, the last place that she was seen alive. Of course, police were suspicious enough at this point to go and get a search warrant for Charles Outlaw's car, the car that he supposedly driven Angela in on, you know, that morning at 5 a.m. that she was killed ever since Charles gave that account, you know, that he left Angela in the car, in that car park that is. So officially the last place that she was seen alive was his car so this search was going to be crucial to the investigation police had actually got a tip off of one of angela's friends actually that had seen charles outlaw the day after angela went missing so following the morning he had taken his car to a car wash and he wasn't just getting any car wash he was getting like a full inside outside scrubbing you know like hoovering borderline sanitizing like this car was getting clean the f out and this only got even more suspicious as if that ain't suspicious enough by the way let me tell you this it only got even worse when police found out that this car that he was cleaning was a rental car and they just couldn't believe that anyone would take a rental car that they don't own and they're going to be given back in you know like a few days why would you take a rental car and have it fully deep clean unless there was something you were trying to get rid of in there think about it you know i don't know maybe it's just the kind of overthinker of me but in me but you know I know that I wouldn't take a rental car that I'm gonna be giving back in a few days like and have it fully just just cleaned out you know what I'm saying like spending all this money to get a deep clean on a car I don't even own 
Mm-mm. I'm not doing it. The only way I would do it is there, you know, unless there is something that I need to clean up in that car before I give it back. But like, I'm not finna go all out. So the police wanted to find out why Charles was so desperate to clean that car before he sent it back. And so they got a search warrant and they got to work, obviously, at this point. The car was so clean because he'd taken it to get it scrubbed head to toe. But we're going to say from roof to the wheels, inside out. And there really wasn't much that police were going to be able to get, you know, to find in the way of evidence. Like, they're not just going to find blood or like any other typical true crime clues, I suppose. But because Angie's cause of death was from a gunshot wound, police knew that they would be able to test for gunshot residue inside that car, which is something that you can't really clean. Well, let me rephrase that because I don't know, actually, um, I've never tried it, (laughs) you know, but it's detachable for a long time after it's been there. And so police go into this car. They do all of these tests and surprise surprise there is gunshot residue all over the roof of this car a gun had been shot inside that car within the last few days so this was probably enough for the police to be able to arrest and charge him then and there on on the spot but they didn't want to just do to do it just yet they wanted to you know collect a few more pieces of evidence and because they wanted to make sure that they could actually send this guy to prison so they brought him in for another interview the next day although they didn't make him aware that he was a suspect in this case just yet He thought that he was more of like a witness, you know, just talking to the police as Angie's friend. So anyway, he's having this interview and then about halfway through, he asked the police if he could go and call his girlfriend and they say yes. So they let him go to the phones and make this call. But this was like the biggest mistake Charles could have made. Like, so let me tell y'all. What kind of idiot doesn't realize that police phone calls are recorded? Please tell me. And they listen to it. So let me tell y'all what happened. He was on the phone with his girlfriend telling her that he had this big story to tell her. But she was going to be really mad at him when she heard it. So she's like, well, what the F you got to tell me? You know, what? what is it? So she asked him, of course, what is it? Is it something bad? And he responded saying, I mean, yeah, it is bad. And the police heard this conversation and they were very much intrigued. I mean, they wanted to know what Charles was talking about. And because of that, all he said, he didn't say anything too incriminating. He wasn't that stupid, but still, this is suspicious enough. And once again, in this situation, police saw an opportunity to maybe squeeze some more information out of Charles. 
because clearly he felt comfortable opening up to his girlfriend and being honest with her and sharing his secrets with her. So they spoke with her and actually managed to get her on board with the investigation and get her to turn against her boyfriend. And she was very brave throughout all of this. I can't imagine how scary it must be to actually be working with the police against your boyfriend that you believe could be a murderer. She too was suspicious of Charles at this point. She thought that her boyfriend might have killed Angela Robani and so she wanted to help police in this investigation. So she agreed to go and speak with her boyfriend with the microphone, little, you know, the little wire they put under the clothes so that they could auto record the whole conversation and basically she was supposed to try to get a confession out of him some way or another so his girlfriend goes in with the audio recording equipment on and she strikes up a conversation and tries to get some stuff out of him but quickly she realizes that this was not going to be as straightforward as they originally hoped because Charles, I keep saying it, but he's not stupid. You know, he had a lot of run-ins with the police before and he knows how these things go. So he knew not to say anything incriminating out loud to his girlfriend. Like, which do you see the issue here? You know, he was being audio recorded. So if he doesn't say anything out loud, there's still no evidence. But he did tell her the story. He did sit there and tell his girlfriend the whole story about what happened with Angelo Robotti. But every time he would get to something quite incriminating, he would stop talking and instead just mouth the word and kind of act it out. That when his girlfriend took this audio recording back to police, they listened back and they were like, we know what he's saying, but because he hasn't said it out loud, we can't use it against him. It made the audio recording virtually redundant. You know, they couldn't use it like at all, but they actually didn't need to at this point because he told her the full story. Anyway, so this is the story that Charles told his girlfriend when he was being audio recorded. It was kind of the same in the beginning that Angie had texted him at 5 a.m. to come and pick her up and he agreed to come pick her up because he knew that she was a single mother with no other way of getting home. Even though it was across the other side of town, he was going to do it for Angela. So he went and picked her up, but he wasn't happy about it. And so as soon as she got in the car, this argument began. And Charles said that about halfway through this argument, Angie reaches into her bag and pulls out a handgun and points it straight at Charles. But he said that he wasn't nervous. He didn't think that Angie was serious about this. There was nowhere she was going to, you know, there was no way she was going to act on this threat. He thought she was all talk. And so he just grabbed this gun out of her hand put it to the back of her head and then in his words it just went off in a matter of seconds charles outlaw had shot angela robotti to death 
within seconds of her getting that gun out of her bag, her life was gone. Ballistic experts and pathologists that have looked at Angela's robotic gunshot wound on her head have said that this is virtually impossible for the gun to have just gone off. At that, Angie, you know, and you know, to be pressed up against her head, it didn't just go off. Very So they very much believe that the way that Angela was shot, there was intent behind it. He meant to shoot her in the head. And they also managed to confirm that the gun that Angela was in fact, that Angela was killed with was in fact her own gun. Her gun that she bought for protection to save herself in situations like this. So now, even though police didn't have the audio recording of Charles admitting all of, all of this, he still admitted to it all because he admitted it to his girlfriend. So, like, she could be a witness and tell police that he said all of this to her. And the reason they knew she was telling the truth was because the things that his girlfriend now knew about Angela murder were things that weren't even printed in the media. Like, for example, where the gunshot was on her head. She knew it was directly in the back of her head. Whereas the media had never posted that you know, they just said that she was shot. It was like all these little things that she shouldn't have known unless she was told by the killer. You know, so that same evening, police had a search of Charles Outlaw's home. And in the back of his closet, they found a little money bag wrapped up in a blanket. Like, it was obvious that he was trying to hide it and get it as far as far away in the back of his closet as he could and turned out this little money bag actually belonged to Angela. It was the bag that she used to take to work when they had all these private parties. She would like keep all her tips in it so that she had it on her at all times. And she probably had it at that bachelor's party on the night that she was murdered, Charles took it after he killed her. And he took it home. And for him to get rid of it, he just put it in a, wrapped it in the closet. You know, like, come on. So the police also managed to recover both Angela's and Charles' phone record of the night the on the night of Angela's murder and they found that both of them had been to Little Burn, Atlanta where Angela's body was found around let's say was found around 5 a.m. which is around the time they believed Angela would have been murdered you know and her body dispersed off and it was out there in Little Burn where Angela's cell phone was switched off and never came back on again until later that same morning. So Charles' phone record shows him coming back home alone and the police finally felt they had enough evidence to go and arrest 
and charged Charles Outlaw with the murder of Angela Robotti. The case went to trial, but before the proceedings could even fully begin, the judge ruled a mistrial. Now, the reason for this was actually an audio recording that police were going to use against Charles, but the judge listened to that audio recording and it wasn't the audio recording with the girlfriend. By the way, I think it was just like a normal interview audio recording, but the judge listened to it before the trial and he said that it would be unfair to use in court because there were a few things that Charles said at different points throughout his audio recording that could negatively impact how the jury sees his character, if that makes sense. Like, it was all stuff that was unrelated to the case, but it did make him look like a bad guy, which that's a whole other issue in itself right now. They just needed the mur- this murder trial to be as unbiased and uninfluenced by other irrelevant things as they could possibly, you know, make it. It's not fair to really bring in other things that someone's done in the past or things that someone might have said that are completely unrelated to the matter at hand that then impacts how they are treated in the trial you know it's just not fair it's not fair even if the person is a murderer you know it it, to them it's not fair and so for that reason the trial was kind of rebooked for the next week and they got a whole new jury and now it was about to begin for real So one of the first things the prosecution did was bring out Charles' ex-girlfriend to give evidence against him because, I mean, she had a lot to be honest about. She had the whole conversation, you know, that Charles had with her where he was acting things out, apparently. He, like, put his hands up to his head, like with a gun symbol and then put it around the back to show where he shot Angela because obviously he couldn't say that out loud with the audio recording and stuff but he was like acting all of what happened out to his girlfriend his girlfriend also told the courts that on the night of Angela's murder Charles came home and mentioned something to Um, her younger brother about how I think I killed the old girl I don't know you know I don't know what that exactly means and it was very much out of context in my research so I don't know I think it's implied that he was referencing Angela but you know I don't know for sure what the conversation was there was actually another witness that was brought up as well Charles cellmate that he was sharing a room with in prison sharing a cell it's not a room let me correct that and this guy told the whole court that Charles had confessed to him the whole story from start to finish about how he murdered Angela he told this guy that he murdered her in the middle of an argument he shot her in the back of the head and then he put her body 
and the trunk of his car, drove her out to a wooded area and disposed of her body. He even mentioned to his to his cellmate that the next morning he actually had to go and get his car deep clean and he seemed really pissed off about it and after hearing all of this evidence against him it's no surprise that the jury came back and found charles outlaw jr guilty of the murder of angela robotti for that he was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole plus an extra 15 years for a bunch of other charges because they were obviously like hiding you know the body and firearm charges all these kinds of things he had a lot of different charges so he was going to be in prison for the rest of his life actually he tried to appeal it just last year in 2021 but it was unsuccessful he is in fact going to be in prison the rest of his life which his ass need to be you know but that is all i have for this case Thank you all so much for listening. Tell me what you think about this story. I think it's very sad, but I am very happy they were able to get justice for her. Very. So y'all, before I officially end this, I do want to give a huge shout out to Touch by Neek. Y'all, I remember when this beautiful lady started doing hair. She ended up going to cosmetology school and became her own boss. When I tell y'all she be out here slaying these girls' head, you can walk up in there looking a hot damn mess. And honey, you gonna walk out looking like a whole new woman. When you get in your car and look, at the, look in the mirror, you gonna steal your goddamn stuff because you look so good with this new hairstyle. You hear me? So make sure that if you ever look in a mess and you looking for somebody, go hit her up. Go hit up. You can find her on Facebook at Touched by Neek. Neek is spelled N-E-K. You can also find her on Instagram at Come Get Touched by Neek. And if you are ready to go ahead and book your appointment, you better rush on over to her website. And that is touchedbyneek.square.site. Get on over there. Get your head done. Because you know it's a hot girl summer. I promise you, you're going to love her. Get on over there. I'm going to also make sure that I put her information in my comment box so that you all can go and book with her and make sure once you done getting booked you tell all your friends and family about it you hear me do you hear me so anyway guys once again thank you for joining every little things podcast i will see you all monday for our next episode you all have a great weekend be safe and don't talk to strangers and if you cross the street make sure you look left and right peace out night